You know, it's been a, lot, a little while uh, since we've been in our normal sermon series, so let me just remind you of where we've been. Maybe you're visiting, maybe uh, you haven't been here since the start of the year when we began this new series. But we've been working through a series on the foundations of the faith. And so we started with what it is that we believe, what do Christians believe, by working through uh, the different statements of the Apostles' Creed. Currently, we're now talking about the Christian life. Right? How, how are we to live? What does it look like to live as a Christian? And we're doing that by working through the Ten Commandments. We've made it to the Seventh Commandment. Uh, today will be the final day that we're in the Seventh Commandment. Uh, it almost went to more. I, I didn't want to keep it going. I just I got into it and I had to cut so many things down just because there's so much that we could talk about with it. But there's plenty of time for that, and so we'll finish that up today. The seventh commandment is the command that you shall not commit adultery, focusing on uh, sexual purity and chastity. And for our supplementary scripture reading, we're going to be reading Proverbs 5. And I'm not going to comment greatly on it. I'm not going to be uh, directly preaching from it, although I will make mention of it several times in the sermon. But more or less, what we find in Proverbs 5 is a, is a father speaking to his son about how he might remain sexually pure, how he might submit his sexuality to the Lord, and giving him practical advice on how to do this. And in the sermon today, although I'm not doing it exactly the same, I'm more or less following the same train of thought that you're going to hear in Proverbs 5, much of the same thought. The word of God has been given to you as a believer. It's part of what God has given to you to guide you into holiness, to guide you into what he would have you do, how he would have you live, even in the area of sexuality. So here then, these words from Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. 
Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Well, the scripture text that we've been meditating on some time now is from Exodus chapter 20. It's Exodus 20, verse 14. Hear this word of the Lord. You shall not commit adultery. It's short. We don't often have such short scripture text, but... This is the word of God. You shall not commit adultery. This is what he, by his Holy Spirit, has brought before us today. You are called to chastity in the Lord, to abstain from sexual morality and to live according to God's design of covenantal sexuality within marriage. We've spoken on that at some length at this time. And maybe you hear that and you think, it sounds impossible. But you haven't been left alone in this matter. The Lord knows your frailty. He knows the ways that you are tempted. He knows that you're inclined to sin. And so he has taught you what it is that he desires for your sanctification. He has provided for you this word that you might be sanctified. And in order to push more deeply into uh, what exactly this calls us to or what God has given through this command, in this command to help you, uh, we're going to cover seven different points, seven different ways that God has, has called you to holiness in this matter that are to be of of a measure of help to you. And the first point is this, uh, that this would call you to take heed lest you fall. Don't let your pride be your downfall in the area of sexual sin. You might hear God's command and say, come on, is this really that big of a deal? Isn't this some kind of old, puritanical ideal. But don't make sin a trifling matter. Sexual immorality eats away at your soul. It destroys homes. It degrades you and others. Maybe you hear this command that you shall not commit adultery and you think, well, I would never do that. Of course you would. Right? Given the right circumstances, the right frame of spirit, Given that slow slippage into sin and temptation, absolutely you would. This is why God gives this word to us. Maybe you think to yourself when you hear of some kind of sexual sin that somebody's fallen into, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that and I wouldn't do that. But what you should say is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't think in your pride that when you have sinned in this way that you cannot be forgiven. That is also pride. 
Right? I can't repent. I've already sinned. I might as well keep on going. God wouldn't forgive me now. Of course he would. Right? Do you really think that your sin is so great that it is beyond the capacity of Jesus Christ to forgive? It's not. So take heed lest you fall. Secondly, remember that bad company corrupts good morals. We all know this, right? You become like those you spend time with. The company that you keep, the friends that you have will greatly influence the things that you do and the the way that you think. And if your primary friendships are with people that don't love God or that live immoral lives, then you will likely follow them. If the women that you spend time with are the kind that are constantly telling you, look at that cute guy in the office. Why don't you sleep with him? Why don't you go over there? Why don't you make your move? Well, you probably will. Right? If you're surrounded by idle men with filthy minds, well, you're probably going to be the same. I didn't make this up, by the way. Bad company corrupts good morals. It sounds like you know, some kind of just common saying that's been passed down. That's just Paul. This is, this is from Paul. This is what he says. And this extends beyond simply people, right? The people that you spend time with, in what you watch, in what you read, in where you spend your time online. Are you keeping good company? The father in Proverbs warns his son not not even to go down the road of the adulteress's house. But how often are you walking right into her bedroom in the things that you watch? Right? You listen to music that glorifies all kinds of sexual immorality, and then you wonder why you're so often tempted, why you can't stop being tempted. It's because bad company corrupts good morals. Thirdly, this command teaches you to flee sexual immorality. Right? You're not just called by God's word to simply not not sin, right, but to flee from it, to run the other direction. You are to be like Joseph when his master's wife propositioned him and he ran away. He ran away so quickly he left his tunic in her hand. He fled. He didn't stick around to see if he could reason his way out. He didn't get as close to the line as he could without crossing it. He fled. He ran. There are situations that you know that if you put yourself in, you're likely to sin. Right? You can say, maybe in your right frame of mind, well, I'm committed not to sleep with my boyfriend. But when you are alone together, late at night, snuggling on a couch, watching a movie, right, where, where is this heading? You know where you will be most tempted. And listen, you, you were made to bond with someone else emotionally and physically in a way that would consummate sexually. This is the plan of God for, for the vast majority of people. It's a good thing. This is part of a, the way that God has made you. But he made you to do this within that covenantal structure of marriage that we have talked about. Right? And it, to put yourself in a situation where, where you're moving in that direction, but without that structure, without that covenantal framework, that is to play with 
fire and think you won't be burned. Jesus says not even to look at a woman with lust in your heart or you have already committed adultery. And that doesn't mean that uh, it's a sin to notice somebody of the opposite sex and be attracted to them. The question is what you do with that attraction, where you go from there. I know, especially sometimes for uh, moms, as your sweet little boy grows up into a young man and all of a sudden he starts to notice people of the opposite sex and he, he starts to be interested and attracted, you might think, oh no, like you, you want to try to stop that. Well, that's not the right response, right? This is natural, it's normal, it's good. It's something that God has, has designed to happen. But the question is, is, men, what you do with that, right? Where you go with that. To linger, to, to let that attraction turn into a consuming, lustful desire, right? That is to commit adultery in your heart, Christ says. It's to break this very command. And so you're to flee from that. What does Job say? Job, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a young woman. Right? It may not be wrong at times to notice that someone is attractive, but to seek out images that you might indulge your flesh. Right? Simply to objectify. That is to rush into sin rather than fleeing from it. Are you inviting sin by how you dress? Right? Fleeing sexual immorality includes dressing modestly. Scripture's full of this teaching, coming out of, working out of, of this central command. Right? And that's true for both men and women. Now, of course, this is a more common sin for women. And so the Bible's full of teaching, telling men, women to dress modestly. It doesn't give you a list of, you know, well, this, this fabric, this length of a skirt, it doesn't do that kind of thing. Right? But it gives you the general principles, right? what you're to focus on, how you are to live. And that's because often female lust will include wanting to be desired in a way that is unchaste. Right? Not, not because it's wrong for you as a woman to desire to be desired. That's, like, that's built into you as a woman. But the way that sin twists that is that you'll want to be desired in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons, for the wrong characteristics. Flee from sin, we're told. You're not to invite it in. Fourthly, this command would, would call you to learn self-control. You must learn to live in a way that is disciplined and in line with the Spirit of God that lives within you. It is for holiness that you have been called. Right? It is to live in the light that you have been called out of darkness. That's, that's why we must learn to live in line with the Spirit of God. To be holy as He is holy. Now you've maybe been taught by the world around you that your longings, your, your desires are all that you need to direct you and tell you what is right. But God teaches you that you must take every thought captive. That you must discipline even your body that you might direct the whole of who you are toward obedience, toward what is true and good and beautiful. 
And the reality is that little sins become big sins. Right? Very few, few people have ever just walked into a store and seen somebody that they're attracted to and called their spouse and said, it's it, I'm out. Right? It's over. That's not how it works. It, it starts with discontentment at home. It starts with bitterness. It starts with small justifications. How many affairs have taken place starting with a man saying, I wish my wife was like her? Little sins lead to big sins. So you must learn discipline to put to death even the little sins. You must bring even these into the light to confess them right away. To tell your spouse right away when they've hurt you. To forgive quickly. To let love cover a multitude of sins. Sexuality is meant to be something like a feast. We, we see this time and time again in the poetic teaching of scripture. It's described as a kind of festival, right? Uh, it's... It's as though this table is spread with all kinds of good things. It is a well-aged wine. That's what marital love is supposed to be like. But like with any feast, that takes discipline and work. It takes time and effort. Sex as God has designed it is made to get better over time with the same person, not to be an instant quick dopamine hit. And so, in order to even receive and enjoy the good gifts of God, you must become the kind of person that he's made you to be. This is true in every area of life. That God has made the world in such a way that, that if you are not the kind of person that he has made you to be, you will not be able to receive all of his good gifts. In fact, you may even see some of his good gifts as if they were, were punishments or as if they were, they were something negative. You may hear... The, the word of God and the Ten Commandments and think, well, that's all bad. It's all negative, right? It's, it's some ego, maniacal, uh, manipulative, micromanager trying to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life. Well, that is because you, you don't have the palate to receive the good things that he's given. You're not the kind of person yet that can receive his good gift in his word. Just like a child who's raised on you know, Mountain Dew and cotton candy, if presented with some of the, the highest and best and most nutritious delicacies of life, may say, I don't like this. I don't want this. And what do you do as a parent? You train them to, to desire and like what is good. Right? They, they have to have their palate changed, and it has to grow over time to actually receive the best of things. The same is true here. To learn self-control also means you must not be idle. You must discipline yourself in part by giving yourself to the work that God has made you to accomplish. Right? There's always sin waiting around, available to fill in your idle time, to come in, in a time of boredom. But you are made to work, to build, to create, to care for and glorify God in accomplishing things. You were made to pour yourself out for others. So men, particularly young men, uh, as you are particularly often tempted in certain areas of lust, you have to realize that, that the glory of a young man is his strength. 
And you were made to pour yourself out for others, to work hard every day for the glory of God. And part of the very physiology of a young man is built in such a way that, that yes, you can be extremely tempted, almost feeling overcome by temptation in this way. And yet that, that same way that you have been built can also be used as a drive to go out, to build, to create, to make, right? To, to strive hard for the good of others and the glory of God. Women, God didn't make you to be idle either. Scripture, again, is full of commands in this way. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul commands that young women are to marry and to bear children, to work hard managing their households so that you will not give the adversary an occasion for slander. And the Proverbs 31 woman, as we talk about this kind of ideal of, of you know, Christian femininity, she is not a, a quote-unquote stay-at-home mom or housewife in the sense that she's just home a lot. She's just there. No, she's, she's doing things. She's accomplishing things for her household. She is directing and managing. She's, she's being productive pouring herself out for the good of her family, for her church, right? And maybe you're not married, right? Maybe God has not given you children. You, this is still the same, right? It's pouring yourself out for the good of others. See, sometimes, especially in a, in a decadent age like we live in, we think that it's wrong to be tired. But it's not wrong to be tired. Uh, it is wrong to be idle. That is, in fact, a sin, Number five, the seventh commandment would direct you to think now about the consequences of your actions. You don't wait until you're under the sheets to think about what the consequences may be for what you're doing because you won't think about it then. Right now, today, you need to think about and call to mind what the consequences of sexual sin really are. All other sins are committed outside of the body. But sexual sin, Paul says, is committed against your body. It's a kind of sin that sticks with you and hits more personally than many others. To unite yourself to someone sexually and then to tear that apart, it does great damage to you and to them. It harms your ability to connect with someone else emotionally, physically, spiritually. It harms children. It is to give your time and strength and money and effort all to someone and something that won't bring you any benefit. This is what the father in Proverbs 5 tells his son. He says, keep your way far from her. Right? That is the, this woman who is really sexual immorality personified. And do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others. And your years to the merciless, lest strangers take your fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And he goes on to say, then even at the end of your life, you'll look back and say, why didn't, I, why didn't I listen? Within the covenant bond of marriage, sexuality is supposed to get better with time, to be productive, creating offspring and building trust and love between you and a spouse. And if you give yourself to someone outside of that bond, what you're doing is you're giving time and energy and strength, probably money and effort, all to someone that won't return blessing on your head. 
right, that won't increase your wealth or comfort you or encourage you or come alongside and build with you, that won't give you children, that won't help build a home in which you can be pleased and find rest and a home where you can be honored. These are good things that you're to, to be desiring, to be moving toward, to, to want, to work toward. And covenantal marriage, when you pour yourself into it, multiplies honor and glory to you that you might give it to God. But, but you give that all away in sexual immorality. So think of the consequences now so that you might call that to mind in the moment of temptation. Sexual immorality destroys others' souls and bodies. It harms you. It rips apart families and homes. It causes violence and animosity. And if not repented of, will ultimately lead you to hell. Right? Call that to mind. This is serious. It's, it's not something to trifle with. Number six. It's not enough simply to abstain from what is evil, what we know to be wrong, you must fill yourself with what is good. The answer to sinful desire is not less desire. It's a deeper desire for that which is good and that which is righteous. It's to fill yourself with what is good. And marriage is given in part to help you avoid sexual immorality. Right? So it's not the kind of thing that you should delay unnecessarily. Now, not all are called to marriage, but the vast majority are. And so you should not delay it unnecessarily. That doesn't mean marry just anyone. It doesn't mean you be hasty. It doesn't, it doesn't mean any of those things. But you don't want to put off marriage too long as far as it's up to you, in part because this is one of God's graces and gifts to help you in the fight against sexual morality. Sometimes we think that fighting sexual temptation is best done by, by trying to convince ourselves that, that, well, the sexual pleasure is just bad, right? We should see it all as bad, as negative, but it's not. It's not gonna, that's not going to work long term because it's not. It's not inherently wrong. It's a good gift of God that God gave before the fall of man to Adam and Eve. It's a, it's a good thing. The father in Proverbs doesn't say, don't desire these things, my son. He doesn't say that at all. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Right? He says, let, your breasts, uh, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. And it's almost embarrassing even to, to read that in a church. Right? This is a respectable institution, and, and here we are. I'm wearing a suit, saying those sorts of things from a pulpit. It seems almost wrong, right? But it's not. This, this is good. This is, this is the Word of God to, to teach you what you are to desire. It's not enough to simply then, you know, say, don't do this. Right? Don't, don't commit sexual morality. The, the Scripture also says, but, but seek after that which is good and, and righteous, This is the good design of God, that a man and a woman would delight in one another in marriage. And of course, marriage is not the only option. 
right? It, not all are called to marriage. And so for each of us, it's, it's not just delighting in those things on an earthly level which are good. It's the higher things that God has called us to. Right? It's to fill yourself with the words of God. It's to devote yourself to prayer, to fill yourself with the mind of Christ. It's not to fight sin alone, but to throw yourself upon the means of grace that God has provided you. Worship and the sacraments and prayer, the hearing of the word of God, fellowship, right? You, you were not made to go through this life alone as some isolated individual. You were made for true fellowship. And so, as you sin, as you are tempted, confess your sins to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Let others help you. Right? Come talk to the elders if you feel that you're struggling, you don't know what to do. And maybe sometimes you don't want to do that. You don't want to talk to someone else in the church. You don't want to talk to the elders. Because you think, I, like, I'll just shock them. Right? They're not ready for how sinful I am. I doubt that. I seriously doubt that. I think probably everybody does have some sense of what sin does to each of us. Let's say, we're, you know, that it is true, though. Let's say that you're dealing with some kind of sin that will shock people if they hear. Bring that out into the light. That, you don't want that to stay hidden. That's not good. That will do even more damage than simply being maybe embarrassed because it shocks some people. That's okay. Join a Bible study, right? If you're a woman, we've got women's Bible studies coming up in the fall. Sign up for one, right? Join the Samson Society that we've going and Get connected, right? Join one, a life group. If the life group doesn't meet when you need it, let's start another one. Don't do things alone. God has provided the church for your help in this way. And it's not enough to simply say, I'm just not going to do what I shouldn't do. You have to, to push into that which is positive and good. Finally then, number seven, remember that when you fall into sin, you can always repent and be forgiven. Always. There is only one sin, ultimately, that will not be forgiven. And that is what we would call contumacy. I know that's a weird word. It means a refusal to repent. Okay, it's true that sins like sexual immorality will bring many people to walk away from the Lord, to fight against Him for all of eternity and to spend eternity in judgment because of that. But ultimately, it's not just that sin, it's, it's the fact that they refuse to repent of that sin. They refuse to humble themselves and ask the forgiveness of Christ. Ultimately, that is the only reason that any will not receive forgiveness. Jesus Christ dined with the sexually immoral, with prostitutes. Right? He came to save sinners, he said, not the righteous. He came as a doctor for the sick, not the healthy. The very first person that Jesus appeared to in his resurrected glory, who embraced him, 
in his glorious resurrected body was a woman who was known for her sexual sin, for having been a prostitute. Repent and be forgiven. You will, you will not be perfectly chaste in this life. You won't. But God uses even this to remind you of your dependence upon him, of your need for forgiveness. So turn to him. Right? Don't hide in your sin. Don't give up hope when it seems hopeless. Trust him again. Trust his promises once again. And he says, he promises that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do desire that even in this area of our lives, in our sexuality, that it would all be submitted to you. And Lord, we, we are very tempted in this area. We are an unchaste people. We live amongst an unchaste people. But we ask that you would glorify yourself in us by making us more like Christ. That you would help us to find your forgiveness where we need it. And you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be holy. That we might present the whole of our lives, body and soul, to you as an offering of thanksgiving and praise. Please do these things, not for our name, but for your name and in your name. Amen.